Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Climb Forward Podcast. This episode is my buddy Todd Fulkerson, former Green Beret, currently recovering addict, and just an all-around good dude. This is a story, I encourage you to listen to the entire thing, it's amazing. I can hear you now. Yeah, sweet. All right, dude. Awesome. Dude, where are you at right now? Uh, Dayton, VA. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. What got you there? Well, uh, pretty much, you know, uh, as we talked about, you know, more more of the story and kind of how it unfolded, I, I um, this summer, you know, uh, what kind of got drug out, whether I wanted it to or not, a police report in, in, in Chillicothe, Ohio, got leaked about a lot of abuse that went on, you know, with the Boy Scouts and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I was one of those guys, you know, and so uh, that was, that was, you know, part of kind of what my, uh, started my, uh, you know, my initial thought was, you know, I, I'll, I'll go back, you know, I'll, I saw my other buddies that, 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 you know, for so this is like my biggest, deepest, darkest secret, man. And, you know, I, I really never shared it with, with anybody, uh, you know, and so another fellow scout emailed me and he's just like, read this, you know, and cause he knew that I was too. And I read it, you know, and, and I was like, so blown away with the courage that, that it took those guys to, um, you know, finally kind of go, go public with this. And, uh, you know, the guy responsible, he comes from, from a really wealthy family. He's been paying people off for years, uh, you know, to, to keep quiet and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, he came along at a, at a time when, uh, you know, I, I, I had, uh, you know, witnessed, well, the, you know, to be, to be, uh, quite frank with you, you know, it, it, at nine years old, is this is this like live or anything? It's been recorded, but I can. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. Um, it it uh, at nine years old, you know, through a cracked door, I wouldn't I witnessed something uh, that that you know involves some of my my family members and and uh, and and it was a sexual situation that that I shouldn't have seen, and um, base basically. What happened was that, uh, you know, that changed my life forever, dude. The shame of what I saw and and the confusion that that caused, and 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 it was my kind of it was my father that was involved in that. And so at that point, you know, I, I really I really shied away from uh, from my dad, you know, just because of what I saw. But 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 I held that in because I had a little sister and a, and a mom, and I I knew that what I saw would have destroyed my family, you know, right. and. And so I held, I held that in and, and kind of shied away from my dad. And, and that was at nine years old. And, and right then, you know, there, there was my, my boy scout leader, like, Hey, I'll, you know, and I, and I needed him man. I needed, I needed him. I needed that, that male role model. You know, I, I, I needed somebody that was going to take me camping and hiking and climbing and all those things that I, that I wanted to do. And, and so, you know, when, when that, uh, that went on, it started at nine, you know, and, and, um, went on until, until almost until I was in high school. Um, you know, but that, that really started, go ahead. Oh, so I was gonna, I was gonna clarify that you started with the Boy Scout thing. Were you, are you talking about sexual abuse in the Boy Scouts? 
Yeah. Okay, so you were you were sexually abused when you were in the Boy Scouts. Okay. Yeah. By this guy yeah. that was supposed to be this male role model for you after seeing your dad in a position that left you very conflicted. So now right. you're getting more or less abandoned and rejected and, and used. You're being raped by two two grown men. Yeah. Okay. And and so you wow. know he his his mo was was when you're sleeping at night, you know, and it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything uh, too terribly horrible. It wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't raped. I wasn't anything anything like that. It was just, you know, uh, fondling when when you know during during sleep, um, and you know, and you kind of woke up in this dream state, wondering like, was this real? Did that happen? You know, and 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 in the back of my mind, I knew that it was, but like I, I needed him to the degree that I, I kept going back, you know, and and actually stayed on, uh, stayed on fairly good terms with this guy, uh, you know, th- throughout a lot of my life. You know, I forgot I forgave him a long time ago. You know, I, I uh, for whatever reason, even back then, I, I was able to see through whatever it was that was driving that, and and see the human being. You know, I remember the first time that I met him, and he was just. Uh, this larger than life character, you know, behind a firelight wearing an Indiana Jones hat. And, and he was just, just a, this incredible storyteller that could paint stories with words and, and everything. And, and, you know, um, and so, you know, that, that continued on and, and, and it started shaping me then though, uh, you know, with, with, uh, you know, I started boxing when I was 13, you know, because, when I, uh, the, the summer in between my fifth and sixth grade year, uh, I started, I started be, you know, because of the special attention he was showing me and the rumors that were already circulating back then when I got to the sixth grade, you know, it was like, surprise, everyone thinks you're a homosexual, you know? And so I faced that at that really, really hard time. And when, you know, I remember passing my buddies in the hall and, and the look on their face was like, sorry, man, you know, like, I, I love you, but you know, if I hang out with you, you know, people might call me that too, you know, and, and it was just the most painful, devastating rejection that I could have ever imagined, you know, and, and so I, I started boxing when I, when I was 13, and I thought, well, you know, that's fine, if you want to call me that, and, and back then, dude, I didn't even know what I was, you know, I mean, I, I knew that I, I, I had crushes on girls, but I didn't, you know, mixed with what I saw through that cracked door, I didn't know what I, what I was, and, and so, you know, I started boxing and I started lashing out like that physically, you know, and I thought, you know, well, you know, I'll, I'll make them pay consequences in that way. If they call me that, I'll, I'll just, I'll just try to knock your teeth out, you know? Um, and then I can remember when I, when I got to, to high school, you know, uh, being in ninth grade and, and thinking I am going to try to sleep with every single girl in this school that I, that I want to, you know, and, and it was, you know, one because I wanted to, and two because it was a it was a really convenient uh, defense mechanism, <laughs> you know, against against that that rumor, and it probably played a big role in me becoming a Green Beret too, you know. Well, yeah, man. Well, the, part of that when you started saying that was, I'm like, well, yeah, that's every ninth grade male ever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like step yeah. one, you know, accomplish that goal. Yeah. But you know what I hear a lot of that is is compensation, and I can relate yeah. to that. I did that as well, man different uh different conveniences you know different conventions rather uh different ways of going about it but i was never good inside right just never good yours is is a very it's very traumatic from a very young age right like I, it makes me wonder like is there anything 
that I blocked out. But uh, yeah. how old were you when the very first thing, what's the earliest looking back in the, the Boy Scouts, how old were you then when you, when you found out about this recently? What do you mean? How old was I so, when? What, what what age were you at when like it started in the Boy Scouts? Well, it really started. You know, he started grooming me at nine. Um, okay. And and here's another thing that happened co- uh, to coincide with that. Before we move on, was that my grades dipped at nine because of all this? My my dad specifically, you know, and, and that and, and also my my mother's father died at that time, so I lost him. He was really my real role model. And so they put me on wow. Ritalin. They put me on this horse dose of Ritalin to you know compensate for these low grades and and so here i am at nine walking 10 feet off the ground i i hated the feeling back then you know this really made me really uh you know uh withdrawn and paranoid everybody that was laughing giggling class was laughing about me i was hypersexual and all all that that it goes with that you know i remember going down remember going down to look at the health books and, and when i had breaks in school to look at the naked chicks in the health books you know and and stuff like that but so the abuse actually started at, at uh, about, a, it started at 11. Uh, so yeah, the, this, the summer between my, uh, my fifth and sixth grade, sixth grade year. Okay. So, yep. This is the first time you've talked about it. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, uh I, yeah. That's a lot, dude. I mean, that's, yeah. it takes a lot, but it's like, what brings us to this point to where, cause I've, I've had these moments too, where I've, I've unearthed the deepest, darkest stuff of my life because you know what? My life sucked and I was depressed. I was putting a needle in my arm. It's yep. like, where did this come from? Where did this come from? I was so clean and, and, and straight edge and just wanted to be a good dude, but never felt like it. You know, where does yeah. that come from? Where does that harm originate? I think I think it comes from from toxic shame, toxic shame in 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 all of this, you know, and and shame is such a, a devastating thing, you know, in, in all of our lives that we have in our own ways, you know, and and um, you know, it, it yeah, it was I, I was ashamed of of who I was and have been for years in certain ways, you know, and confused about who I was, you know, yeah, and. And it got to the point, like you said, that finally out in California, I was in San Francisco. I'd been living out there and, and it got so bad with, with meth and, and fentanyl that, you know, it, um, I mean, it, it just didn't get any worse. You know, I, I was buying it in quantity. I, I was, I've never been directly suicidal, but I can tell you that I was lean, I was leaning into it hard. You know what I mean? I was, I was ready. I was just so tired. My shoulders are so tired of carrying Oh. this and then and then i was i was in a hotel room um in california all by myself the last two years i've spent in almost total isolation except for just a few friends you know um i would leave my house twice a week go down and straight into downtown san francisco to, to buy drugs and and back to my house and and uh had a serious overdose in april you know that required multiple doses of narcan and hospitalization you know and uh, you know, my, my buddy, Ryan Carroll, his, his mother was the one that found me, uh, haphazardly in the middle of the night, having agonal respirations. And, uh, the VA had just happened to mail me a couple Narcans out of the blue. 
and they just happened to be sitting on my nightstand, man. And she just happened to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You get in the, in the middle of the night, put both of those up my nose and called the EMS. And, and, you know, I, I woke up in the hospital and, and so, um, yeah, uh, you know, I've had a couple of those, but, but, but it came to the point where I, I saw this little glimmer of hope maybe to, to survive. And, and, and I knew that, it, I knew that it was to finally just be honest with everybody about who I was and the things that had happened to me and, and my story and, and pull no punches and, and, and just let it out. You know what I mean? And, and, um, so yeah, you know, it, ironically, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in some legal stuff and, and while I'm, while I'm in here and, and, you know, I, I, I this was my first stop, you know, I, I, I've been to the Dayton VA before and why I came here, dude, I drove 3000 miles really to be here. And it's because in, in the middle of Dayton, Ohio, this place is in the middle of a drug war zone. I mean, you go out any of the gates and I mean, it's, it's a te- what they call a tester city. So, you know, with, with my, with my tattoos now, my expensive tattoos that I have on my hands of track marks, you know, uh, if they spot somebody that, that they suspect is an addict, they will literally throw at what they call a tester at you with their phone number on it. You know, like call me test that and call me if you like it. And, and wow. it, you know, so this place is really bad, but, but because of that reason, this VA right here, I mean, is, is, it's almost kind of, it, it's a, it's a godsend and it's, it's not like a jail, but it is kind of like a jail. I mean, they bring drug dogs through here on the daily uh, urine test every other day with, with laser uh, testing the temperature and they're watching it come out of the tap every time. Yeah. Um, there, yeah, there is, there is, no, for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I came here because I, I knew that I needed a place like this to, to in early recovery to kind of guide me and, and hold me accountable. And, and, you know, I, you know, you, we've shared stories before. I know you and I are alike in that way of, uh, you know, kind of finding holes through that Swiss cheese to kind of get around the system to, to, you know, we, we, we wanted to quit, but we weren't quite ready, you know, and, and until, until we were finally broken, dude. And, and at the precipice of death, you know, I, I finally decided, um, you know, initially I thought, to be honest with you, Mikey, my thoughts were, you know, I'll, I'll go back to Ohio, um, help, you know, hopefully put this guy behind bars, uh, do him civilly to get, to get what I feel I deserve and, and give that money to my family as, as my own, um, reparations for the things that I've done to them, you know, and, but still at that point, I wasn't thinking, Hey, I, I'm going to survive this, you know, it was still more, I got, I just got to make it there to this one last goal, you know, to, to try to do something kind for my family and also to prove that, that addicts aren't bad people, even. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's even, even in the midst of active addiction, we can still do good things, you know, it's uh, taking a second on this one. You know, we when we make the decisions that we make, <clears throat> the honest to God truth is every single one of us, if we could, if it was a light switch on the wall, would reach over, hit it off, and never turn it back on. Um, there has been an inordinate amount of effort that I've seen you make, that I know that I've made, that I've seen a lot of addicts and alcoholics make to 
try and get and stay sober. And the, the when and why and how, when that intersects and people get a lifetime sobriety one day at a time, that is not a choice that I have had to make. Like, it's not a choice that I get to make. I can treat, I can keep making the effort. You and I can keep coming back, right? Until we die or get sober. That's it. Locked up, covered up, or sobered up. Those are our only options. And honestly, man, on that last one, or the middle one, uh, I thought you were going to die. I last checked in with you before this was what, around, I was still in Irvine, you know, so it was sometime late last year. I was walking the dog. He was uh, still like a little puppy. And you were like telling me about San Francisco and you know, where you can go get it. And it's, you know, good stuff. And I'm like, wow, that sounds actually kind of cool. <laughs> like I was like, maybe I should go to San Francisco. Um, but the reality was, you know, I knew what you were dealing with. And especially with fentanyl, it's like, yeah, you should be dead. You yeah. should be dead. I, I, I counted on it. Um, yeah, just, that, that, that last salute I gave you at that, I think it was a laundry mat where we parted ways the last time, you know, that I, remember that. I you know, I, I, I hoped that it wasn't, but I, but I strongly, um, I strongly felt in my heart that that was probably the last time that we'd seen it. And we, we think that would be enough, right? Like here's somebody I care about very much. And it's like, I see myself in your struggle. I see you and everyone else's struggles, right? It's like, how do we, how do we stop this thing? Well, yeah. you know, we don't have that choice it's it's just really it's addiction is so confounding to me it's baffling it really and uh and they the assumption is the root of it is trauma your story highlights that it just to a degree i've i've never i don't hear quite often i'll put it that way i wanted to circle back to the counselor the uh sorry the boy scout whatever you call him um yeah yeah. Master. The master. There you go. Perfect title. <laughs> yeah. uh, so your, your feelings for that at the time were, were quite conflicted. And I yeah. really get that. It's like, I want, and that, I'm asking if this is a pattern that's played out over your life is I want their approval so much. I don't care how they treat me. I don't care. I treat myself. Does that, you got that right? Yeah. Yep. And when we start to segue that into what I do next, Boxing, what I do next, Green Beret. How is it that we put ourselves in these – boxing is no joke, man. I, I have tried and have done and unsuccessfully, um, but a, a rigorous boxing – dude, massive respect for anybody that steps into that ring, steps in that octagon. I don't care what your, your, your style is, I have massive respect because I think a lot of people either forgot or never learned what it's like to get hit in the face. It was a yeah. very experience. And to train for that, put yourself into that at 13. Dude, I started. Go ahead. I started training at uh, Lula Pearl Douglas, which is uh, the training center that Buster Douglas built after after he built beat Mike Tyson, which you know he fell into his own whirlwind. I, I've actually never met the guy. I yeah. never even came by that time. But but you know, three or four nights a week, you know, I, I would go in there uh, and box in Columbus. And then the other nights of the week, I would box in Chillicothe in this old 
uh, barn that they had a they had a, a boxing ring in there, and you know, of course, my dad really got into that. You know, my dad always kind of lived vicariously through me. I think he had a lot of maybe regrets and things that he didn't do in his life, and and I think that he may have faced you know some uh, bullying and and things to that nature. You know, and so he was always there really pushing me you know I, I I have permanent swelling around my eyes all the time from you know the uh you know I, I was an okay boxer but I mean I regularly got the shit kicked out of me you know and uh would go to school with black eyes swelled lips bigger than my lips already are you know um <laughs> and and that kind of stuff you know um but yeah it, you know and it, it was sanctioned boxing but yeah man it it, it definitely it definitely uh, hurts to get hit square right in the nose. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a painful experience for sure. It's a unique one. Who, what were the kind of guys who were there with you when you're training at this young age? Um, I, in Columbus, it was uh, me and another kid from Chillicothe and we were the only two white guys in the gym. Um, everybody else was, this was inner city Columbus, you know, and, uh, um, you know, a lot of these kids, that, that was all they had. The only structure they had was sort of this boxing gym and the coach, and most of them didn't have a father. And so uh, our, our trainer, was his name was Von Zell Johnson, and uh, he, he fought uh, uh, Michael uh, Leon Spinks, which is Michael Spinks' brother. Uh, Von Zell was also on the, on the Olympic team with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, this dude was huge, but uh, awesome boxing trainer and, and uh, you know, w- would take a lot of these young boys under his wing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what's the alternative, you know? Right. Right. Like a lot of, I never had to face these choices, right? I I wanted to impose structure on myself and, you know, I'm not going to go into my story. It's not about me, but I feel like you and I have that in common. We wanted that difficulty either to, to hide something that I'm compensating and, or, or to build something that I want to aspire to be at the root of it all. man, was always that I just want to be, loved i just want to be respected why because i can't feel that for myself i i yeah. look around in the world and i just i see nothing but people that don't like me i see nothing but disapproval i see nothing but i don't fit in and i don't know where and when and how i started to have that judgment but i believed it right off the bat because it yeah, me too. felt real exactly right so that's what we start pushing ourselves in, into these environments and and making it through we're yeah. successful in this. You're like, well, I'm, I was an okay boxer. Dude, I'm telling you right now, okay, yeah. You know, whenever you, if you're a doctor and you're around nothing but doctors, you're like, well, I'm an okay doctor. But if you're the only doctor on the scene, you're a fantastic doctor <laughs> because yeah. you're the only one there. You could, you could kick some ass. There's no doubt about it, right? You know, but other people with skill level the playing field. The bottom line is we go into these things with this ambition, with this capability, and no matter how well we do, I always feel incapable I always feel I'm not good enough that can change. And, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get to this part, which I feel you're at. And I feel that I'm at, um, but before we get there, got to talk about the, uh, the finishing schools. We got to talk about the severe schools. And my favorite yeah. quote is from Thucydides it says, we're all more or less alike from one man to the next, but the best of him is trained in the severe schools. Your severe school was trauma-based followed by I'm fighting back because there's always that modicum of self-respect, at least a little bit, that shining glimmer of hope, however faint it is and it's gone, it's ephemeral, but it's there. Yeah. 
from boxing to Green Beret, can you tell me that transition? 13-year-old boxer to how old were you when you went to the Army? 19. Six years of what, – what was that six years like and why the Army? Um, so, you know, once I got to high school, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still on this Ritalin, which is, you know, the whole, whole way through. Um, and, and I would have a, this nasty come down, you know. And I remember the first time I smoked marijuana – and started drinking some alcohol and, and it, it evened out that, that jittery up feeling that I was having from that Ritalin, you know? And so very quickly in the ninth grade, you know, girls and, and, and drugs became a part of my daily life, you know, and a way of escaping me. Um, and also a way of being socially accepted, you know, or trying to be. And so, you know, I, I navigated through that. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, my parents found, um, they found a, a stat, big stash of Playboy magazines uh, and now, you know, and sorted by date very meticulously, <laughs> dating all the way back to the sir. Yes. Yeah. That, <laughs> Probably, I, pilfered, yeah. that I, I, I pilfered from people's dad's houses and stuff over the years. Sneak <laughs> one here or back, you know. So they found all those. Um, they, they caught me smoking pot and, and, and they found a, uh, a receipt for condoms on my bedroom floor. And uh, they sent me to... Uh, military school. They sent me to Hargrave Military Academy for my junior year of high school. And, and that's, that's where I really started fighting because this was an all male school. You know, it was a bunch of dudes that felt like their parents didn't want them. They were either, you know, called delinquents like me or, or just, you know, displaced, abandoned, all of that, you know? And so we had nothing to do there. There was no girls, no drugs, nothing. Uh, Extremely structured. It was in Chatham, Virginia. And, and, uh, but at night, you know, after we had this two hour study hall every night, the only thing, yep, that's the only thing we had to do, man. And we did it, we did it right, you know? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got, I had a fractured hand at one point wearing a cast, which just became a, an, another asset to me, um, cuts over both eyes, multiple, you know, we were all dudes were always getting sent to this little this little doctor that was, you know, it was this bit small town, it's an old civil war town. And, uh, you know, this, this little doctor that basically worked out of his house, you know, they'd send us there, you know, and, and he'd sew up our eyes and, you know, we all always, a lot of slips happening in the shower there, you know what I mean? Things like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Lots of showering, lots of slipping. It happens. Yep. And, um, you know, that they, then I, I, I I completed that and I, I, I was a swimmer too. So I swam all the way through and this place had a really good uh, swimming program. Two things I hate, heroin withdrawal and cold water. That's why I joined the Green Berets and not the Navy SEALs, you know, but, but I swam competitively from the age of five until I was 18. Um, and then I, I actually started, I started swimming. Uh, um, well, I, 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 I attended college briefly and I didn't go to any classes. I failed, you know, I was getting F. There were, there were some classes that I didn't even go to once. I mean, this is where partying started hard. My senior year of high school and, and first year of college, cocaine, ecstasy. Um, also, there's an important moment in here that we need to talk about, which was, yeah. you know, uh, at the beginning of my senior year, I was 17 years old still. It was a month before my birthday. And this girl tore her ACL playing basketball. She was a tall girl um you know and, and she knew she knew how to work what she had and what she had was drugs and 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 i remember being at the drinking fountain and she had this p- bottle of pills and uh and she's like hey do you want to try a couple of these and, and i'm like 
you know, what are they? She said, they're Vicodin. They'll make you feel good. And I was like, sure. You know, and I, I took two of them, which is a therapeutic dose. And I went back into Spanish class and, and 20 minutes later, I knew I wanted to feel like that as much as I could for the rest of my life. I mean, that was the key. It was, it was, yeah. What did that feel like? This is actually really important. Um, when people that don't understand addiction don't understand, well, you're a Navy SEAL. Why can't you just quit? You know, out of love, I understand it. What did that feel like? It felt like everything I ever wanted life to be. You know, it, it felt like for the first time I was comfortable in my own skin. For the first time, you know, um, life felt right. You know, it felt it felt like like I thought that it always should. Like I like I couldn't even imagine that it could. You know, um, you know anybody that says drugs don't 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 pay off. I mean there's a reason people do drugs. They make you feel incredible, uh, for, for a little while, you know, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's the catch is that it is, it is a very temporary fix. Just like, um, you know, you take a pain pill for, for leg pain. Well, it, it works for the leg pain, but, but it does wear off. Well, it works for heart pain too. Um, and, and, you know, sort of making, numbing that and making that bearable, you know, and, and all of these things is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah. you know, I, I remember having lunch with my dad and, and I was failing out of college and, and he said, look, I, uh, I told you I'd pay for it once. He said, I'm not going to waste any more of my money. He said, you can either get a job, you can either find a way to pay for it yourself or you can join the military. And, and, uh, and that was right after nine 11. And I thought I had an older cousin who was a green beret. He's about 15 years older than me. And, and I signed up to be a green beret. I, I signed up uh, on a program to, to be a green braver right away. And, uh, and so I went through, you know, um, infantry and, and airborne school. And, and then they had this program called stop C, which is prepare guys like me to, to go up there. And I went through SFAS. <laughs> I went through SFAS four times before I got selected. What is that? That's our, that's uh bud. That's okay. Our bud. So it's a month long assessment course you know, where, where they, they, they punish you and see how you can work, how you work well with others. And, you know, we have peers and psychological evaluations and very, very similar to you guys' selection program. But I, uh, there was this course called the land, uh, the star course. And it was this huge land nav course that, that zigzag. That's why they call it a star course. And, um, you know, I, every time I, I was just coming up, uh, it was four days, four points a day, started at 10 PM and went till 10 AM, four days in a row, 16 points. And, I, I always fell, you know, the first three time, first time I, I tripped on a log and, and I, I uh, sprained my back. And so I, I was medically dropped. Then I went right back the next time and still kind of hurt, but, but, you know, wanted to get right back in there and I failed the land nav course, went back the third time, failed the land nav course, fourth time got selected. And, uh, and, and after that, I, I went, I went straight through the whole Q course uh, with the exception of, of Arabic school, we have to, we have to learn a, a language. And so four months of, of, uh, you know, for, for, of Arabic, uh, eight hours a day, six days a week. And I, I would have been more entertained chewing off my own norm, you know? <laughs> so I failed that test the first time I uh, had to study up a little bit, passed it the second time and, and, you know, got that magic hat, but, uh, you know, I'll be interested to see what, what, what your take is on this and what your experience was with the seals, but, you know, at, at our ceremony, they say, you know, gentlemen, you know, we have it in our pocket and they say, gentlemen, don your green beret, you know, and they went on that magic hat and, 
and I don't know what I was ex expecting, Mikey. I don't, I don't know if I was expecting it to be like this magic Superman cape or something, but it was actually a very ambivalent moment for me where I was just like, okay, what next? You know, now I have that. And then it was like, uh, here's your papers, go to Afghanistan, you know, and my family's all, yay, yay. And then it's like, hey, I went to Afghanistan. And they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot about that part. You know? <laughs> oh, this is really happening now. This is real. Yeah, it was real. Yeah. Well, I know for me, it's like our ceremony, they went all out. You know, they had <clears throat> all these big wigs there. We had Admiral McRaven there. We had, I just listened to that speech, by the way, the uh, Make Your Bed speech. First time ever <laughs> since it came out, um, I actually listened to the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, we had a lot of big wigs there. They had your class number uh, transcribed into Tridents. So ours was 288. So you had the numbers 28 and 8. It was really cool. Um, and then we had, his name was Vice Admiral Harwood, a really cool guy, just a beast of a man. And he came up and he pinned me. He's like, congrats, man. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just a good day. And, and I went and I walked around, did the salute. And I remember having dinner with family later. It was a beautiful day. You know, I was, I was about to be married pretty soon. I had this a beautiful girl way outside of my realm way out which is you know like every man's uh chief chief accomplishment in life we think to marry up sure. <laughs> check so i'm married up i'm a navy seal like and i'm something that part of me is like i just kind of felt like i don't know it wasn't what i thought it would be you get to the end point and it's like this is it yeah is, i thought my fears were supposed to be gone this is not the romanticized view I thought it was going to be. I wanted yeah. to be fearless. I wanted, I'm 5'7". I wanted to be 6'3". <laughs> like, I, I wanted a lot of other things to grow as well. But the second I, I put that trident on, it's like, man, like, this whole shaping of this, like, arduous selection phase, which it's one of the, looking back, I'm, I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, it's a proud achievement. Right. It is. But the, that's when the work starts. And that's it. That's you are you are still nothing. You are nothing at all. You have not. We had an instructor. He takes us to the whiteboard and he draws this really long line, you know, all the way across. And he's like, here's day one of buds. Here's graduating buds. He draws demarcation lines at each one and he gets all the way near to the end. He goes, here's when you get back from your second platoon. Right here is when you guys can start having an opinion. And we're just like, Roger that. <laughs> like, it's just like, we got this onslaught of people telling us, you know, just shut up and, and, and realize that what you accomplish is quite a bit. Um, but you're yeah. not surrounded by people who have done the exact same thing. And nobody gives it, a shit. It was just the job interview. <laughs> there you go. You got the ticket to the finishing school. You made it through the finishing school. Congrats. Okay. Uh, now we get to work. But your question was, what did I feel about me and how did that compare to what I hoped I felt like I went into it very briefly and we'll get back to you. I went into it because I was scared, insecure. Um, I just wanted to be happy. I had commit, tried to commit suicide. It didn't work obviously. And yeah. I woke up from that being like, okay, things have to get better somehow. And then that was, I was 19 and then 2008 when I'm 23, 24, 25 years old. So Six years later, I was a Navy SEAL. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Eight years later, I was a Navy SEAL. 
So in that eight-year journey, I'm vying for anything in the environment that will make me feel good about me. And I didn't touch substances for the longest time, but the second I did, I got the instant ease and comfort, depending on the drug, of either I, I can be someone else, which those had one effect, and then the real tricky one, which was I felt great about me taking this one. What was that yeah. drug for you? Or yeah. Which, now, which ones made you feel like I'm good being me? I, I wouldn't want to be anyone else. Oh, it, uh, opiates. Definitely the, the opiates was my, my, uh, that was my magic bullet. Man. And so it started then, um, sporadically with, uh, you know, a- after high school, my senior year, it was always like opportunistic use, you know, um, uh, would never dream of touching something like heroin or, or anything like that. It was, you know, at parties and stuff. I would, I would go into people's um, go into people's bathroom and and their parents' bathroom and kind of look through the medicine cabinet and see see if I could find any uh, old prescriptions and stuff like that. Sometimes I'd uh, you know do the, give, leave them the courtesy of replacing them with some Tylenol or something like that and you know um, and so it was just opportunistic use, but it was whenever I could you know and, and so uh, I joined the military and and you know had to straighten up there. Uh, obviously and 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 you know at, at first uh, there wasn't any drug use in the military for me um ex- until um until you know there there was a point where i i had a kidney stone when i during training and they gave me a bunch of percocets and i and i found out that if i went to the clinic there was this old pa she was a ancient lady you know that i um and so, you know, being being an 18 Delta and a, and a special forces medic, I knew how to go in there and say the right things and whatnot. And, and so, you know, even through training, uh, you know, I remember I went to the pharmacy one time and they were like, uh, uh, and then they went and got the PA and they're like, Mr. Fulkerson, you have been getting a lot of Percocet. You know, we're going to have to slow this down, you know. Um, and so, you know, they slowed me down and, and whatnot. And but but at that point, the, the the value of my accomplishment was greater than the drugs for whatever reason. That was one time in my life where I, I was willing to put that aside. You know, I remember when I ran out, it wasn't like, I have to go find more. It was like, okay, I need to study. I have a big test tomorrow. Uh, I, I have this that I have to do. You know, I remember one, you know, um, at, at, during life to, and, and during our surgery process, you know, even, uh, you know, an IV bag that had like 30 milligrams of morphine in there and, and uh, was tied off and was to be, you know, thrown away and, and fell on my hands. And I remember in that moment, uh, you know, it's one of my proudest moments because, you know, one, we had cameras everywhere in our schoolhouse, you know, that, that watched everything and seen everything. But I easily could have taken that IV bag, you know, up to my room, started an IV on myself and sent that home. But in that moment, for whatever reason, I, I didn't. You know, I, I went ahead and poured it down the sink and it was, you know, it was due to the fact that, that, you know, I was so focused on what I wanted at that point that the value of the drugs, for whatever reason, was lower than, than the value of getting that green hat for me. Yeah. Um, so I ended up graduating, uh, you know, and, and so we, we get into Afghanistan and, and I remember uh, at, at Kandahar Airfield, uh, before we deployed out to, to well, we were at Camp Lindsay, was which was just outside of, just outside of CAF, and and uh, sorry about that. And so, um, 
I remember the Italian surgeon, you know, you had to sit down and, and sign a hand receipt for all these narcotics. It was in a little Pelican case, you know, about this big. And I remember him handing me that. And I remember looking in there and thinking, I'm fucked, you know, I'm fucked. But I was hopeful. I was hopeful that, that, you know, I, I, I would use it for the right reasons and, and not do anything wrong with it, you know, and, and did for quite a while, you know, um, we, we're at Camp Lindsay for a while doing the commando mission and, and out at uh, Firebase Anaconda, which was in Ruzgan province in 2009, uh, there was an ODA out there, a third group team. And I remember we were in the team room and, uh, you know, uh, came over the radio that, that there was a, a tick out at Firebase Anaconda and, you know, we're hearing this develop over the radio and, and it turns out that, that, uh, it was an 18 Delta by the, by the name of Mark, Mark Small. And, uh, he, somebody, somebody shot a single round in wind from 200 meters and hit him right in the neck when they were standing outside of vehicles. I mean, a lucky shot out of nowhere. They were done with the op. They were just like kind of regrouping before they went back to the fob and hit him right in the neck. And, uh, you know, of course they, they were spinning up medevac and da, 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 da. And then the word came over the radio. I forget what it was specifically at the time, but it was the code word for uh, he's deceased. And, and, I, and I remember us all, I remember just looking at my, my teammates in the room. It was just this cold, chill feeling like, okay, this is really, really real. You know, some of us aren't going to come home. Um, and then a week later, that team, uh, they hit a, a huge IED. And, and one of my instructors by the, by the name of Dave Hurt, uh, he, he was the team, team sergeant. Uh, he, he was hit, uh, burnt over 90% of his body. He got out of the vehicle and, and like a, he, he was like the poster child of the green brain. Like when you're talking about just one of these big Captain America looking guys. And, right. you know, from what, from what the other guys said, he got out of the vehicle. Um, there, there were two other guys that were killed instantly. He got out of the vehicle and he was just patting himself off and they were receiving small arms fire after this, after this IED went off and, and he went over and laid down the prone and started returning fire. Uh, the medevac came in, he walked to the medevac himself. Uh, he, he laid down on the chopper and, and later that night he, he passed away from, from uh, complications of all of those burns. And, and so, what's that? Heard? His name was Dave Hurt. H-U-R-T. Yes. Wow. And he was one, actually, he was one of my instructors when I was in the Q course, uh, you know, through a leadership course I went through. He was, he was a super cool dude, you know, just a poster child of Green Bray. Had a beautiful family. Yeah. So, you know, this team now ha has had massive devastation. Um, you know, a third or close to, you know, a third of the team is now dead. And, and so we work in 12-man teams. And so they, they pulled that team uh, out and and then I remember the night we got the, the 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 call that we were going to replace him out there you know and, and I remember that being another one of those moments where it's just like holy fuck you know this is um you know and and I remember calling my family and being like hey you know we're moving spots and everything and and you know it's, it is going to be a little bit more dangerous but you know at that point I got you know I, I sat down and I wrote those letters you know what I mean that that um that we all hope that we never have to uh, send to our families, you know, those, those letters of, of remembrance and, and, you know, telling them things we love about them and, and, and the, some of our favorite memories and, 
and uh, almost apologizing for our service and putting ourselves in that position, you know, to be that. Um, so we replaced them out there, and 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 this this was the wild, wild west of Afghanistan. I mean, it, it at a time where I mean, it was just firefight after firefight after firefight. Um, you know, I, I've literally had bullets go right past my head, so so close that you know, I could feel the the shock wave, uh, and and you know the the bullet breaking the sound barrier as it went by. You know, so it sounds like a stick cracking or a firecracker in and of itself. Uh, you know, uh, mul- multiple times um, got in. You know, a, a few few big ticks out there. Not to pump, pat myself on the back, one of them. We got in, two guys shot, uh, and, and we were pinned down in an ambush for several hours. And we ended up getting those guys out of there, though. They both lived. Uh, one was an Afghani commando, and one was, a, um, one was a, an interpreter. And, and, uh, I, and, and that day, I, I, um, I got the, the Bronze Star for Valor for that. Dude, good but, job, man. I mean, that's good shit. Yeah, like, okay, we know that's what yeah. we talk about, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, like, you Here's know. what I like about stories like that. Number one, it's just, I don't know the words to use right now. Um, inspiring, yep, that's part of it. Patriotic, obviously. Heroic, of course. Something beyond that, I, I can't quite, it's very, people should know what it's like. The nuanced stuff from what it's like to think about my own death, not from a suicidal standpoint, but from, oh, fuck, we're, I'm probably going to die today to the kind of people we work with. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's, I'll say men in this case, because right now special forces is preponderantly men, uh, but yeah. the men and, and some of the women that we work with, man, it's just, there it's, it's a different type of person and it's not in a, okay. sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. So it's like, we're not, not in like a commando, like super badass, like, although that's kind of cool. Uh, but in like the, this is just a good person. Dave Hurt getting patting himself down on fire, laying down, returning fire, and what's that based off of? Well, training, yeah. But what's that based off of? Lessons learned in war and the love that we have for one another. I That's would it. rather die than see you die. That's the basic yeah. mindset. And yet people, after all this stuff and after transitions, they see the struggles. And I think some people can see right through that, right? A lot of people see just the addiction, just the behaviors. And we do this thing called a fundamental attribution error, which is where we ascribe good qualities to myself internally, right? In comparison, in comparison. But your qualities, I ascribe uh, negatively to your internal situation. Oh, he's a piece of shit. Oh, he's a dirty addict. Oh, well, she's a pathetic alcoholic. I was very harsh and judgmental of people for a while that were brought in front of the man for punishment. I, I see it actually different now. And I owe every one of them some kind of a living amends, if nothing else to, to really understand and be a help, but sorry, throwing it back to you. No, um, I, that's the way I, people ask me what war was like. And I, and I say, man, you, you see the worst of human beings and you see the absolute best. I, I've, I've seen, you know, things that, that are beyond words and, and just tragic is big enough word. Uh, no. Travis is not a big enough word for some of the things that no. you see in war. At yeah. the same time, you see some of America's finest out there fighting for heroic moments like a fumbled football, you know, and, and, and that, that, I mean, 
even thinking about stuff like that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. You know, when you see people doing that kind of stuff, it, it, it truly is in our community. It, it's, there's, there's numerous times where you can account for that. And, and definitely in yours, you, you guys have some of, the, some of the most beautiful stories of, of people laying down their lives for their friends. And, and, you know, that, that, uh, whether, whether you're religious or not, you know, Jesus says there is no greater love than that. And, and, you know, in, in a sense that that's what, what he did, you know, um, uh, in, in a real big sin, in the biggest sense, you know, uh, you know, re- religion and spirituality aside, whatever your beliefs are, you know, yeah. that, that in all of us. Um, and I, and I believe that that is one of the finest, uh, qualities that human beings have, you know, um, so, so beyond that, you know, on these missions, though, Mikey, what had started happening, of course, was that uh, I was out there and I was running a clinic to an open clinic uh, where local nationals could come in and out. And, you know, that was one of the I mean, that felt better than any drug I've ever tried was was, you know, in Africa or Afghanistan running clinics and 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 uh, putting medical hands on people that have, some of them have never had a, a medically pair of trained hands put on them in their entire life, you know, and, and being able to, some of them are, these, I mean, some of these people, the, the ailments that they live with and work with and, and survive with is just unbelievable, you know. Um, I, but anyway, making their life better for, for a day, for a little while, or, or maybe indefinitely, man, that, that was, you know, that, that, for the second time, besides, uh, you know, the first time I looked at a Playboy or the first time I looked at or took a, an opiate, you know, and, and felt these great feelings, that that was one that that topped them all, you know, yeah. was 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 helping these other people. Because, you know, I, I, my, my problems were non-existent then because I, I wasn't thinking about them. You know, I was pouring myself into into others and, and serving others, you know, but at the same time I was serving myself because, you know, it, it was, it was so easy for me to, all I had to do was, you know, I was the, it's a unique place in medicine. I was the doctor that prescribed it, the nurse that administered it and the pharmacist that kept it, you know, nowhere else in medicine will you see that kind of uh, singular accountability for me. And, and there was nobody there to say any different. You know, I just say, you know, 15, 15 year old local national mid shaft femur fracture, you know, X amount of this, X amount of that, gone, you know, but I, but I started looking on the tracker, narcotics tracker in country, and I could see all the SF medics on there. And I was using quite a bit more than, than the average Joe, you know? And so again, my vow, my value started thinking in a, in a twisted way though, my value started thinking, man, my, my job, my friends, and what I'm here to do is more important than me getting caught and disgraced for this. You know, that was it. Uh, special forces is kind of like the seals. You have a long leash. They know they have people that are going to take incredible risks on one side of the street. They also understand that we're the kind of people that are probably going to take a few risks on our own side of the street too, you know? Um, but there's a the long leash there. And it's like, as long as you don't embarrass us, as long as it doesn't get outside of the unit and become an embarrassment, if it does, we will crucify your ass. <laughs> you know, we will rip that green beret right off your head, make you do an about face and walk away. So, you know, obviously being in Afghanistan, it was not hard to, I, I'd never tried heroin um, before in my life, but, you know, on a mission, uh, we were, we were uh, hitting the heroin lab and, and uh, literally carrying this stuff out. You know, I remember uh, putting a, someone putting a charge on it and it literally just scattered it, you know, a little bit. We put incendiaries on it, just kind of 
you know, wouldn't catch fire. And so eventually they called in a 500 pound J dam on this thing, but I slipped some in my three day assault bag, you know, and, and I remember getting back into my room, similar to a room like this and, and on my desk. And I remember getting some of that out and looking at it on the desk and being like, I don't know how to quantify this. I don't know how powerful this is. You know, the, the pharmaceutical drugs that I had, you know, I know how much is there, you know, I'm a medic. I know, I know, but I, I don't know how powerful it is. So I just started snorting small amounts and wasn't long before I was injecting it yeah. mainly in the evening where I would go to bed. Um, we had morphine auto injectors that were like EpiPens uh, with 10 milligrams of morphine in there. And, and what, on missions, what I would do when we were out is I, you know, I, I carried a bundle of those with a rubber band around it in my, in my right cargo pocket. And, and when I started to feel the need um, or feel some withdrawal symptoms coming on, I just simply take one of those. I can remember being stacked on a door and pulling one of those out of my, cargo pocket and just threw my threw my pants into my ass and dropping it you know uh yeah, just like like an empty mag but that would keep me you know that would keep me uh level you know yeah. um and that's also where i started using steroids <laughs> steroids uh came into my life at that point you know and and um you know so anyway i came home addicted man is the bottom line when i came home i i was my my wife uh uh, you know, when, when, when she was there, I, I came into her arms, you know, dope sick. <laughs> you, you were married. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know that. I family. got married. I, 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 uh, I was 21 when I met her. Our mothers worked together at, at an elementary school. Um, she, we grew up in the same neighborhood actually. And, and she was five years older than me. Uh, her name was Brooke, and, and same same thing with you. Just this incredibly beautiful, incredibly um, wonderful woman that that was out of my league. You know, very patient. Uh, her brother dealt with addiction, um, so you know. Uh, you kind of froze. Me a lot. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, you kind of froze for a second. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I was in the Q course, and, and we were engaged, had been engaged, and, and unfortunately, there had been an infidelity kind of going on, you know, um, indefinitely. You know, she was at home. I, I, she was in Ohio here. I was in Fort Bragg, and there was a lot of that going on. Didn't know that at the time. Um, but, you know, I, I um, you know, she put, I remember her putting a lot of pressure on me, like, hey, we're getting married or this is over pretty much. And I was right in the middle of the heart of my medic course. And it's just all this academic pressure. And it was like, oh, why are you doing this to me? Okay, let's do it. And she came down one weekend, we went to Wrightsville Beach and, and got married. And and then she went home, you know, um, she ended up coming back down for part of the Arabic course. And, and but, you know, so so here she is, she was always so supportive. She's, she was a strong Christian. Uh, she had a past herself, you know, um, and, and, and changed, you know, I, 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 honestly, she, she is one of the glimmers of hope that I've held on to all this time because I, I knew the person that she used to be. And I saw it, I saw this person transform me into this beautiful, thriving Christian woman that just, you know, um, she, she's, yeah, just you know everything that that I would would want in in a in a in a in a wife, you know. But but I wasn't ready for that at the time, you know. I wasn't, and and so I came home addicted, you know. That was a big surprise for her. Um, 
I ended up going on one more trip to Africa. Uh, I was on a new ODA at this time. And, and the last team I was on was a conservative one. You know, they were all older, married guys for the most part. This next team I went to was like balls to the wall partying. You know what I mean? Like work hard, play hard. Um, you know, and, and, and so here we are. I mean, I, I, can, <laughs> I can remember being in Senegal driving around during Ramadan in trucks. Uh, drunk, you know, doing donuts and stuff and, and running from the Senegalese p- police into the U S embassy, you know, um, it, it, it was, it was, but, but even amongst all these guys, you know, uh, you know, I, I was a notch above when it came to the party, you know, it, it was like, even amongst all these guys, it was like, you know, they knew how to stop and, you know, they were mainly, they were just drinking beer and, and stuff. It was all alcohol related. It was like, but here, here's the here's the the medic, and I remember the 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 straw that broke the camel. My ETS was coming back, and I and I remember getting the feeling that like they knew, uh, some everybody kind of knew something more is going on with this guy than just alcohol and and whatnot. And I remember being on a C seventeen flying home, and and uh, being fucked up on a bunch of Ambien, uh, and and me and another medic. Um, you know, getting in a, a playful fight on the C-17. There's two Humvees inside this thing and, and a bunch of Air Force person, not a bunch, a few Air Force personnel. And, and, and the playful fight turned into a fist fight, you know, and here we are in this, <laughs> in this plane tripping over like the, the you know, the, the tie downs and everything. And yeah. I remember threw me up on the hood of the Humvee, you know, and, and when we landed and, and whatnot, you know, both goose eggs and knots and stuff i mean it was like hey you know it's all forgiven by the time we landed but it was still like at that time it was like okay i'm, I'm done i'm done I, instead of instead of risking being caught or more importantly instead of somebody i i mean mikey i am so lucky that somebody didn't die in my hands while i was under the influence and that i would have had to wonder you know could i have saved them if i was sober or whatnot, but I did let down my teammates, man. I was compromised to a certain degree. The problem was, you know, once it got rolling, I wasn't, I, I wasn't a liability when I was on the drugs. I was a liability when I wasn't, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I needed something to function. I mean, but obviously I wasn't, I was a liability the whole time. I was just, you know, so, so I, I, I went ahead and ETS, man. I was born to be a Green Beret. That, 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 I don't, I won't say I was born to be a Green Beret. I was a good Green Beret. And it was something I did for a long time, but unfortunately due to um, the choices I made in, in allowing myself to become a cripple, uh, you know, that, that, that job kind of ended early for me a little bit. Um, I remember after I got out, I went into our basement, my wife's basement, and, I, and I, for six months, I really didn't come out, man. You know, a lot of drugs, um, uh, total isolation, you know. Um, I remember I, I would just sit down there, dude, and listen to that song, Angel, by Sarah McLaughlin. Oh yeah. Whatever reason. And, and, and that's actually, it's actually written about uh, the drummer of Smashing Pumpkins that died of an over heroin overdose. No way. Yeah. Yeah, man. And if you listen, if you listen to the words, it would make a lot of sense once you know that, but for whatever reason, dude, I would just listen to that song over and over and over, you know, and it was like something that made me really sad. And I would cry, but like, that's, I, that's what, what I needed to be. And, and, and just getting all that out of it. I came home with a terribly broken heart, you know, both from, from, from letting myself down and the things that I saw, you know, and, and of course I knew how to fill it, man, with, with you name it. Um, lots of, you know, but then I get a phone call, right. And 
the first team that I was on, my senior medic by the name of Pat, this guy's super cool. It's like six foot six Native, Native American dude. Uh, you know, the kind of guy that like women just like literally follow him, you know, it's like dude, <laughs> it's all envious, you know what I mean? He's just one of those guys that like, you know, he, he he's, he's like literally, he's literally beat off of stick, you know, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, um, his wife worked for Victoria's Secret and, and she found out that there was a protection detail for, for, for the owner uh, and, and his family, uh, the, the, the Wexner family. Uh, which, you know, he's a, he's a multi-billionaire uh, Jewish family that they're in Columbus, Ohio. And, and he calls me and he's like, Hey man, you want a job? You know? And I was like, yeah, you know, and, and it probably saved my life, Mikey, because at that point I didn't know what to do with myself. I was lost. You know, I just, my, my rear was lost. I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, what could possibly keep up with being a green beret, you know, and, and, and satisfy me in that stimulatory kind of way, you know, that I was used to in civilian life. And, and, and I just couldn't think of anything. Um, <laughs> funny story though. I, I was interviewed at, at one time, uh, due to the, the prison in Lucasville, Ohio, they, they, uh, they couldn't get an IV stick on a guy. And so they had to stay his execution. Well, doctors can't, uh, do procedures on people and the, the death penalty due to, uh, the fact that, you know, do no harm, the, the Hippocratic oath, but, special forces medics can. And so one of the procedures that, that we are accomplished in is called a venous cut down where we'll literally cut through the skin and isolate the vein and, and puncture it. You know, an 18 Delta will find a vein or, or will go in the bone. You know, it, we, it's not going to happen. You know, like we're, that's one of the best things we can do. Yeah. So at one time they were interviewing us to, <laughs> to be uh, essentially executioners down at Lucasville uh, to ensure that, you know, that th these IV sticks wouldn't, you know, that we would get them. However, that fell through and, and I'm kind of glad that it did, you know, due to uh, just the fact that I, I didn't need more of that in my life at the time. I, I thought it was a cool, I, I remember asking the guy, do I get to wear a black hood? You know, um, but, <laughs> but so, you know, that, that fell through and, 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 and so Pat calls and he's like, Hey, you know, you want this job? And so I, I went up to Columbus, I went through this interview process. I go to this, this, castle of theirs you know and uh and i'm like yeah i want the job it was a great salary job working for limited brands which was the, the mother company for bath and body works victoria's secret licenza white barn candle company all these uh they owned express at one time they owned abercrombie and fitch at one time um you know so it, it was him his wife and 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 you know they they had three children and and, and i'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that just because they're they're very private people and, and i and i respect them uh, very much, but, but, um, you know, so I, I, I cleaned up, man, I cleaned up and I got sober and I went and I started this job and everything was great, you know, and, and I traveled around the world more with them dude than I did with the military. I mean, I, I, I've, you know, been all over the world with them and, 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 you know, uh, flying on their personal planes and, and would go and spend half the summer in Aspen, half the summer on their yacht, you know, in St. Martin. And, and it was just, it was a dream job, you know, it was a dream job. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what happened was that uh, flying home one time in a, in a Chicago airport, I, I met this girl that changed my life forever. You know, her name was Michelle. And, and that was the first time that I, she walked in there and she's this little tiny thing, gorgeous. And she has this huge, this, this, you know, framed backpacking backpack on her, on, that's stuck up like this far above her head, you know, here comes this little girl into the bar and 
our flight had been canceled. Her flight was canceled. Um, you know, and, and of course we ended up staying in the same room and, and, but dude, I, I fell in love for the first time in my life. I fell in love with this girl. And, um, the problem was I was married and so was she, um, she, she was from Tacoma, Washington. And, and so that's, that's my introduction to, to Washington was that, you know, on these business trips, um, it was easy for me just to fly up there for a couple of days or a week here and there because I traveled so much. And, and, um, but what happened was that, you know, obviously at one point she's like, we, I mean, we talked every day, this went on for months. And I mean, dude, it was, it, it wasn't love. I, I still love her to this day. Um, but you know, she decided, Hey, we can't do this anymore. You know, I, I'm married. I, I, I want to be with my husband. Um, I want to be a mother. You know, I, 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 this isn't who I am. You know, I love you, but, but I have to go. And that was it. She held to it. Never spoke to me again after that conversation. And, and dude, it, it shattered me. It shattered me. And, um, and I went back to heroin, you know, and, 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 and so, um, I remember they, they, they up at Limited Brands, they, they had a, a drug test, that uh, the drug policy, they were like, hey, you know, sometime in the next week, go drop off a urine specimen. And so it was so easy, though. But what I did was I took a little 100 ml IV bag with some clean pee, and I ran the line down, and I even I even tagged it, that clear stuff that you, that you, Hi. hey, how are you? And, and so the, the clear stuff that, that you, uh, that you, put over an IV, you know, I, I tegadermed this IV tubing to the bottom of my penis, you know, and, and had the tubing in my pocket. And, and I went in there and, and I put a, um, what, it, what it was, was an, what I, uh, an, a hand warmer, yeah. um, you know, under my armpit. And what I could do is I, I would squeeze my arm, you know, teaching everybody out, out there how to you know, <laughs> take drug tests. Um, I would squeeze under my arm to create pressure and, and put this out, you know, and so in the cup, you know, I go to leave and she's like, Mr. Fulkerson, stop. She's like, are you sick? And I'm like, no, why? And she's like, your urine's 106 degrees. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> she's like, she's, she's like, like, you're, you're going to Robin with it. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to you have to pee again, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, well, I can't, I have to go to work, you know? And I took my license and I, and I left, you know, and she, you know, um, and I went to work and, you know, I went to my boss and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, you know, this year da, 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 and made up the story and, and continued working for a while. Um, but the problem was that of course they called HR at limited brands and, and, and then one day my big boss, uh, that was in charge of the entire uh, office operations, he, 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 uh, was like, Hey Todd, let's take a ride, you know, and he just put me right in the car and we went right to the place and they got me, man, they got me. And I remember the family everybody they were just shocked and hurt you know I, I developed a very close relationship with these people i mean you know i'm, I'm with them all the, everything that they did we did you know um whitewater rafting there i am in the raft you know whatever they, all these crazy things they went around and, and did um i, I kind of got to live vicariously through through these and, and what a beautiful family they are man i, I was so surprised kids so well-mannered so you know interpersonal and respectful and inquisitive and curious about your life and you know the the Wexner family truly is a a, a wonderful family that that have impacted my life and, and and continue to do so um but but they were they were super cool about it they they let me resign um they 
they uh, I, I went to a, a nice rehab out in Southern California. They gave me three months of my se- three months severance package. Um, you know, we're really kind. You know, and 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 Mrs. Wexner, she she uh, she understood. You know that that us guys. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of their bodyguards are they prefer medics, but a lot of them are seals, uh, Green Berets. Uh, you know, all, guys with various backgrounds, and and she's seen it before. We we all have pasts and we all have burdens that we carry along with us. You know. Uh, along with our experiences, a lot of a lot of pain and shame and and you know uh, all these kinds of things. So, you know, I went to this rehab out in Southern California, and um, you know, I'll, I'll speed up the story a little bit. But but uh, I, I my wife found out about about the girl that I was um, sleeping with out in in, in Washington um, because I I got so this is how smart I am. I got so high. Yeah, it was actually with her brother. You know, we were we were both using heroin together, because um, he he was also a heroin addict. And I got so high that I I showed him a picture of this girl in Washington. You know, and put this poor dude, which him and I were were close friends. I put this poor guy in the position of basically showing him a picture of, hey, I'm married to your sister, but I'm fucking somebody else. You know, anyway, I, not in those terms. I you know, what what a position to put a guy in. You know. Yeah. And, you know, eventually he, 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 of course, tells his sister what's going on. And, and um, you know, she still stands by me. She comes out to California while I'm going through this this rehab by the sea uh, in, 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 in close to Irvine. Uh, actually, we rode by it, you and I. I think I pointed it. Uh, they're just, just south of Irvine. And, and so... Um, she comes out and stays in the hotel for a lot of the time just to be there to support me and yada, 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 you know, great woman, you know? Um, but, but, you know, here I am. So I, one of my patterns is when I quit drugs, um, I go to women, you know, to something else external to, to make me feel better about me to, to, you know, when my ego starts feeling, uh, you know, unsure, you know, I, I, I'll reach for, for girls to, to kind of fill that void too. in in the past, um, I've always had super bad intimacy problems, you know? Um, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so while I'm out there, you know, there, there was this, this model, uh, that was also in, re- and, and, um, you know, her name is Ashley. And, and, you know, we, we started sleeping together and, and kind of started, started dating, um, you know, and, and so my wife had gone home, she came back, you know, and we're in a rental car. And, and, and so I went to get a massage and again, one of these brilliant, I, I don't make mistakes like this often, but when I do, I mean, it's a good one, you know? And, and so I get out of this massage and there's a bunch, bunch of text messages from Ashley saying, Hey, where are you? You know, she knew I was with my wife, you know? And so I'm like, Hey babe, you know, I'm, I'm getting a massage. I'm with my wife. I'll be back a little bit. Da, 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 da. Send. Get out of the massage room. My wife had been shopping. I go out, she hops in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. And she looks out on her phone. She goes, oh, did you send me a text? And I sent that text to her, you know. And, and, and Mikey, I will never, I will never forget the look on her face when she was just like, who is it? You know, it wasn't a look of anger. It wasn't a look of, I hate you. It was a look of, I, it, was, it was a heart shattering right there before yeah. my eyes. Just devastation, you know? 
Oh, and and I mean, it, dude, it, it killed. I will never forget the look on her face, you know. And and um, you know that that was pretty much it. She got in the car, she left, she went home, and and of course I started using again. I'm out there living with this with this girl Ashley, and and uh, you know, super cool person, you know. Um, but but using the whole time, and, and she stayed sober actually, you know. Amidst my my using, here here she is. She stays sober, and, and and I'm pretty sure she is uh, still to this day. If you watch this, hi Ashley, love you. Um, but you know, <laughs> good job, good on she, it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's well, she's a super smart, sophisticated girl, beautiful, so beautiful. Um, we ended up the, the end of our relationship was uh, I came back to Ohio. We we got in my Prius, and uh, we took this 21 day trip uh, all the way. I picked her up in Cleveland from the train. And we went all, we drove all the way back out to California, stopped all along the way in all the cool spots, you know, and uh, on my Facebook, there's a, a picture of me and her uh, sitting on the Grand Canyon together. Uh, just an incredible, picture, you know, and, uh, um, but, but by the end of the trip, it was like, you know, I would turn up the music, she would turn it down. I would turn off the music, she would turn it on. It was like, you know, and, and finally I was like, um, <laughs> I was like, I was going to drive her all the way back to New York. And I was like, do you want to get on a train in Cleveland? She's like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, we both knew, you know, that, that was kind of the end of that. We, you know, uh, gave her a kiss and, 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 and whatnot. So uh, after that, I ended up going to Fort Bragg and working as a contractor teaching uh, medics uh, in a refresher course, SEALs and Green Berets and Rangers. Uh, every two years, special operations medics have to go through a two-year refresher course. And, and I was one of the instructors. Um, you know, I, I was struggling down there really bad the whole time, you know, but uh, there's a couple times where, where one, one instance I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my, the guys on my team uh, there, which were half contractors, half green suitors, uh, active duty guys. Um, so, uh, there's a seal on that seal that worked in there that, that just a fantastic dude, solid, solid guy uh, was one of my coworkers there. But um, so, you know, Every every two weeks, we would get 60 new, uh, you know, staff medics that were coming in for the refresher course. And what a cool place to be because I still felt like I had one leg in, um, still one leg in the fight. And, and, and what I was was a, a collector of knowledge, man, because I have all these guys coming back from, from theater uh, saying, this is what's working, this is what's not, you know, these are my experiences, you know. You know so I, I felt like it was a really important part of my job to kind of compile that, you know, and and, and – you know, we would reform a lot of our SOPs based on, on that very thing, you know. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, but I remember one instance, dude, was I, I had gotten really drunk the night before and, and you know, had one night stand and slept through my alarm. And, and I had a lecture at 8 a.m. So it was for, um, I remember it was an airway lecture or Burns lecture. But, you know, here at 8 a.m. we have 60 East 6 and above soft medics sitting in the lecture room and cricket cricket no instructor you know I, I was the one that was supposed to deliver the lecture that morning and and yeah and failed and and one of our co-workers had to go in there and kind of you know half-ass it you know and 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 so those guys didn't get some of the training they needed you know due to due to that but you know for for one of us you know that's a big deal not to show up to work i mean yeah. right in the right place at the right time i mean that 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 coincides right onto the battlefield you know if if you can't you know be there and be reliable here you might not be there 
I never got fired there. I, I'm still in good terms, could go back and work, but I struggled a lot, you know, and I, and I ended up just, just resigning. And, and that was the first time I came here to the Dayton VA um, back in 2016. And uh, so, you know, struggled, stayed here, worked in Ohio for the last couple of years, um, you know, or a couple of years there, just kind of bouncing around here and there. Didn't really have any money. Um, you know, was living with my parents now divorced, um, by the way, you know, so it just, I can remember laying in my parents' bedroom at night and, and those being some of the darkest times I ever had, just feeling so alone, dude. And, and, and like such a failure. Um, you know, I, I also had this girl saying that she was pregnant with my baby, which that haunted me at night the whole time, you know, and she even had me convinced, dude, I even went to the birth. You know, there was a big blow up between me and her parents there. Just, you know, that, and and then as I'm working, this was as I was, and then I, I go to Fort Bragg and work as a contractor, get the paternity test, not mine. I mean, you know, but the weight of that was just, it, it at night I was just was oh, haunted yeah. by that. Um, So then, you know, uh, 2017, I came through here and I, and I was doing really well, got myself, got myself back together. Um you know, think things were going really well, looking good. And I get out and I was carrying firewood with my dad and I got bit by a brown recluse on, on, on my shoulder and, you know, starts turning black into chronic within three days, my shoulders the size of a softball. And so I had to go to Grant medical center and they did surgery. And I mean, when something like that happens, they just have to cut all that out. So I don't know if you've seen, I think you've seen my shoulder before. I just have this big, axe wound looking scar there um and and so obviously had to have a ton of pain meds for that right and that's i'm you know fentanyl right around this area was just people were dropping dead like crazy you know uh occasionally in this very building that i'm in you know um you, you know the, the police will come and you'll just be a, a body bag being wheeled down the hall it's it's that serious um there's a there's a cemetery out here you know and and i i know probably between 12 and 15 guys that are buried out there from, from, from overdoses. Um, that was where our fentanyl came out. And I mean, it was an epidemic. I remember they had refrigerated trucks out there because the morgue was full. Uh, they had refrigerated truck has, trucks out there to put the corpses in. And um, so that, I was scared to death, you know, and, and uh, I had a buddy that, that um, had started a company. He, I worked with him at limited brands uh, he married an oncologist and he went out there and he started a security company. Uh, he, at one time he was guarding the Kardashians. And then, uh, at another point he was doing, um, cannabis, you know, so we, we, uh, did consulting for, for the marijuana industry that had just legalized in, in Washington, but it was another opportunity for me to go back to Tacoma, which, you know, I was exposed to with this girl, Michelle. Um, and, and, and so, I ended up starting using up there again. He, he was a former police officer. I remember he came up my room and literally held me at gunpoint while one of the other guys searched my room and found the paraphernalia and everything. He fired me. He let me continue to live in his house uh, for a while. But then the last straw was that I was dating his administrative assistant. And when he found that out, it was like, you know, that, that was the end of me and him. And so I moved in with her. And, uh, you know, her, her name was Molly and, and, and Molly and I dated for uh, a couple of years up there and it, it was a very extremely volatile 
uh, I think you've probably even, I think you even talked to Molly down at Warrior's Heart, probably. Uh, my, my girlfriend from Washington, uh, when I relapsed and everything, she was calling everybody and, uh, and all of that. So um, anyway, you know, here, here's the thing is that I, 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 I looked up Michelle um, and I saw that she had, a, I, she was a teacher and her profile online and, and uh, she had a, had a baby a beautiful little girl and was still married. And, and I lived in Tacoma for, for 10, uh, let's see, like 13 months. And, you know, never once called her, never once contacted her, never once, you know, I was tempted so many times even just to drive to the school to just to see her walk from the building into her car that, you know, just to get a glimpse of her would have been, you know, awesome for me. Um, yeah. One time I, I um, before I left, I, I was copping dope and I saw her and her, her husband drive by. That was the only time I ever saw her the whole time I was there right in downtown Tacoma. Um, but yeah, you know, I love her that much, man, that, that I, I, I will never, in, you know, do anything that, that could ca cause her harm. You know, she, she was just the most incredible human being. But um, so anyway, uh, then I, I come to work hard. And, you know, that's, that's where you and I, our stories intersect. So. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I was thinking about so much there. I mean, just one, starting with the family, you know, an element that you left out, but, you know, I think everyone listening could point to is that you were protecting them. Like that, that notion of being a protector is huge for us. We can't protect ourselves from ourselves. <laughs> But the irony is, God, I want so badly to just like look and, and get behind me and I'll take care of it. Yeah. I just so badly. That's what drove me so much because that part of me I liked. Right. Yeah. That part of me, for some reason, I could pick up on and I'm like, that's pretty cool. What got me through buds, what got you through multiple SFAS attempts and, and, and sprained backs and even beyond military. Right. That's just the context where this is highlighted. Cause I didn't drink or use in the military. I didn't drink for the longest time in the military. And by the time I had touched whatever it was that, that go no further than drug, man, that escalated quick. I never wanted to not be a SEAL. Just like you never wanted to not be a Green Beret. We saw the value in it. We were good at it. We were earning the respect of people around us. We finally had what we wanted, but we didn't get what we needed. And that drug felt like it provided, but didn't. It's like WTF, mate. You know, like, when is it ever going to end? Um, then you mentioned falling in love. <sighs> there, I, yeah, I, um, it's that, God, it's horrible. Because it's like, I want so much good for them. Happy, healthy, safe, free. Especially if it includes not being with me. The no contact, the work on me, you know, the, the I can't even look at you it's just you're, you're you're so beautiful to me it's very hard i think it's one of the hardest things i've done because it's, it involves me not getting what i want yeah. but, but for good reasons so they can live their life and i can learn to trust god stay sober and, and love myself and that's a journey where you and i reconnected you know warrior's heart it just i love that place man you know, and they do really good work. But the time, when the time is right and when I'm ready, uh, Providence will provide. 
I don't know which one of those it was. Maybe I just wasn't ready. You know, I, I don't know. We never know. Right. Um, but looking back on it now and through all the attempts that I've had, it's just, it's worth every second of it. Yeah. And to be able to like sit here and talk to you and you're still alive. I don't even care if you went and got high right now. Like you're still alive. And especially with some of the tricky substances that, that you especially dealt with. I never really dealt with fentanyl on that, but did heroin once and just wasn't, I don't know. wasn't my yeah. thing, you know, but I had my own, yeah. no choice. And, uh, you know, oh, that yeah. it's own, it's own prison. And the last thing that I wanted to mention was about the Sarah McLaughlin song and sitting in the basement. It's like, what was going through your head? You know, what, what, what was going on here? What were you feeling? And then what were you thinking? And I'll prompt it with my experience is I imagine myself on the beach. Just, I just knew I just wanted to die like right there on the sand. Like I just wanted to expire. So I knew I knew I was fucked to put it in scientific terms. And I knew so badly. I knew I wanted to get out of it so bad I couldn't. It's like, let's just, let's just end this thing. You know, I, I don't want to end it, but let's just, let's just go out and let's watch something beautiful, something natural, something was meant to be, because clearly I wasn't. My song was On an Ocean by Lisa Gerard. She's the one that does the uh, Gladiator song. On an Ocean. Oh. And, yeah, yep, that's her. If you get a chance, listen to it. It's from the... Uh, I forget what movie it is. What's up? On an ocean. I'll, I'll put it in the. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll, yeah, I'll put it in the the notes, and everyone can feel sorry for themselves listening to it. <laughs> if you want to know what I felt, yeah. there was a lot of that was self pity, man. And self pity is all yeah. these things that I feel whenever I would use is the fool's gold version of what sobriety and service really bring. Uh, feeling good about me, loving me, loving others, serving others, like feeling strong. It's crazy. It's crazy how that works, but it is the false version of the real stuff. It's not the real stuff, though, but how many calories burned and, and, and amount of money put into it to get that stuff. Very easy, very easy to get, surprisingly so. This other stuff, in a lot of ways, easier. The real stuff, right? The love for others, but it takes a toll, too. It can be tiring. I don't want to answer that fucking phone. It's 2 a.m. Yeah. The vulnerability. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there you go. What you're doing right now, everything you're doing right now, it's, dude, it's going to help so many people. They're just continuing on with that. But uh, but to go back to the question, you know, when you're feeling what was going through your mind, you know, with that song in particular, um, obviously the heroin ties. The mourning, the scattering of my own heart. Yeah. You know, I was mourning the loss of my, you know, my career, I was mourning, you know, what I saw overseas. I was mourning the lot, you know, the loss of, of, of people I knew. I, 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 it, it wasn't even necessarily so much about fear of the future. It was, it was, it was just a shattered heart, man. It, it was just a shattered heart is what, I, you know, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking that's all the only way i can describe it i i remember there's two little girls that uh that i that i saw on an objective that that you know were, were collateral damage beautiful little girls and i had just happened to see them 
when they had come through the clinic. So I, I saw them alive. They were sisters. And then I saw them dead. Um, and, and that was one of the things that, that just really just broke my heart, man. You know, it, it, it was just, um, yeah, kind of, kind of mourning my mortality, but, but mourning all of our mortality in a way, you know what I mean? Um, and, and just how fragile life is. So yeah, I, I yet I, I was so emotional yet I was completely emotionally unavailable for my wife. I, I could provide nothing for her. You know, I, I, you know, I just hadn't, I had nothing to give at that time. At least that's the way I felt. It's like powerlessness. And then like, I can't do the one thing that makes me feel good. I can't serve you. I can't protect yeah. you. I can't help nope. you. I, the one, the girl I'm referring to, she had a, a pretty tragic incident at one point and man i just felt so powerless i wanted so badly to just really be there for her. i want to just take every bit of that pain every last i f- i don't know how she felt i felt like i felt what she was feeling you know i just i cried i just screamed i got that guttural fucking roar that is like how oh, i can't believe it you know and i felt like a failure I had come back into sobriety multiple times for her. I saw a light that came on because I would see her step out on faith over and over again. Just beautiful. That's something that changed something inside of me. And, uh, but again, this intersection of right and ready, it just kept eluding me for, for a long time. We met around 2017, 2018 and you know, the journey after that for you sounded like not too unlike mine for a while, um, just in different areas and in different ways. But it's yeah. I stop. I try to stop. I can't. I want to stop. I try to stop. I can't. And just like, but providence is always there. That kind of brings. Yeah. yeah so ironically, you kept popping in, um, you know. Our, our journey didn't stop at Warrior's Heart. It was crazy how after that point, you know, just periodically, you know, you would pop up obviously because of our affiliations up, um, in San Diego and whatnot. But, but, you know, I remember one time uh, you asking me to come pick you up from the airport and I, I had a car in, in, in Seattle. I just didn't bring it down there, dude. I was just living in hotels using, I was going down there to, to, uh, I forget the name of the street right off of I-5 down there. It's not important to put it on here. Probably not good to put on here, but, but it, it just, the, you know, the, the crack alley of San Diego and, and scoring all the time. And I would ride one of those lime scooters around everywhere and, you know, um, but, but I took an Uber to come get you. And, and I was in, obviously at, that was at some of my worst, man. And, I that. And, yeah. Yeah, and we, I remember we were riding in the in the Uber, and you were in the front seat. And I remember you turned around, and you're just like, "What is it, man? You know what what what?" And I was just like, "It's it's both, you know." And, and I was referring to heroin and, and meth, yeah. you know, and, and um, you know, just different different times, you know. It was just ironic how you would pop in, and 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 how many times we would just kind of sporadically get to see one another, kind of in the midst of this storm. Uh, I, it's not a, these things aren't accidents, right? No. Not, uh, synchronicities. And it's, it becomes more and more apparent 
with each yeah. of the recent passing days. So what happened with you? You kind of talked about it recently, but like you had this like some sort of an understanding that you need to be where you need to be and go where you are now. And, and to do all that, was there a, a singular moment? Was it waking up from the Narcan? Was that what the, was that the deal or was there something else? That was one of them. It was a series of events, you know, it, it was uh, kind of the release of shame finally of, of that deep, dark secret, you know, uh, that I had never shared with anyone, you know, went finally sharing that with my mother and, 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 uh, you know, whatnot that, 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 brought a lot to me and then, and then and there was this incredible a couple of doctors out out in in uh at Palo Alto VA uh, where Stanford is uh one was his name was uh Michael Stasher and and he's the one that just made, he came out of nowhere um a, a phone call that I had made back in November and all of a sudden in March you know this is prior to the overdose he starts sending me Suboxone you know and and they were just like these little parachute emergency packages that just started falling out of the air they're mailing to the house you know and i didn't start taking it right away but the narcan they sent with it and that's it i mean i I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that you know and and they so i started checking in with him weekly and then this incredible one of the most incredible human beings that i've ever met in my life next to you and martin polanco is uh, a psychologist by by the name of michelle o'donnell and Michelle is actually ironically from Ohio. She's, she's our age and she's a psychologist that works in addiction at, at the Palo Alto VA. And I desperately needed to get an inpatient, you know, but due to COVID actually the first COVID case was at the Palo Alto VA uh, for all of the VA system in the United States was there. So they were real gun shy and, and it wasn't possible for me to get in, you know, I, I mean, I even was calling congressmen, you know, uh, all of these kinds of things. And, and, um, but she started calling me all the time and, and I had, you know, uh, Ryan Carroll, which, which you, I think you've met Ryan uh, with the red hair. Uh, he, you know, also an incredible human being that, that, that was so non-judgmental, so there for me as much as I want him to be or not to be after that overdose, you know, we moved all my stuff. I was living at his mother's house in, in Half Moon Bay and we, uh, I, I put all of it in storage and, and I started, you know, he had this extra room. Uh, he was living in this fantastic house in Oakland that, uh, you know, his roommate got stuck down in South America during COVID. And so he had this huge house, you know, to himself. And, and this guy was kind enough, you know, we asked permission to let me come stay there. And, and uh, I kind of came and go, went a little bit. Um, but, you know, I was still, this is probably my heaviest time of use. I mean, at this time, dude, I, I couldn't get enough fentanyl up my nose. I stopped using veins because, you know, even I, I have none left, you know, and being a medic, I was so good at getting them. I, I, when I got here, they tried to draw my blood 15 times, no success. They took me over to the ER. They used a vein finder, which is infrared. Couldn't, that still didn't work. And so to just draw my blood, they had to use a wire guided catheter with ultrasound in my armpit just to get my blood, which turned out I have tuberculosis currently. <laughs> latent tuberculosis which i'm being treated for and and so that's just another hurdle in the road ironic uh thing that that luckily got caught before it got to the the last stage uh, that causes damage and becomes contagious but um anyway you know she started 
calling me and 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 I, I another thing that that changed my life started changing my life Mikey was I I, re- I read A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl yeah and oh you know it just that that set the template for everything that's happening now you know I have I have uh, I have posters on my wall right here. When we are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And I've tried to change that situation up, down. I try to go through it, under it, you know, and, and, and I can't change that. I can't change how I react to certain chemicals. I can't change the fact that I like them a lot. <laughs> I can't change the fact that, that, that I live in a world that, that is filled with it and, and becomes more filled with it all the time. And it's all around me. I can't change any of those things, but what I can change is how I react to the world and how I view it, you know, and, and I've done a lot of bad things in my life, you know, and so I've always felt like I had this scale in my heart that, that was tipped to one side, you know, of all these bad things I've done with, you know, but pebble by pebble, I've started doing things for other people, you know, and, and, and like that feeling of the clinics in Afghanistan, slowly, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better about myself. Every time I put another pebble on the other side of the scale, I, um, Ryan, Ryan Carroll offered to drive me, my trailer, and my forerunner all the way back here to Ohio, 3,000 miles, and fly back. Um, but, you know, be, me being the control freak I was, I, I, I was worried that if, if he wrecked it or something, that, that insurance wouldn't pay for it. So at the last minute, I, I changed the plan. You know, I have this plan with my providers and everything. I'm on Suboxone, you know. Uh, I stop using Suboxone. I buy a ton of fentanyl. I fire Ryan as my driver, and I take off by myself. And that day, 20 minutes after I left, was when all the wildfires started in the Bay Area. I mean, it, you know, it, it was just, you know, I'm not saying that that, that that had anything to do with me or not, but it was just another one of those signs that was just like, you're on the right path, you know, keep going, you know, leave, leave this mess behind you. And, and I started driving and, and Michelle O'Donnell called me every single day, three weeks, you know, it took me three weeks to drive back here. I stopped all along the way, was high the whole time. I drove 55 miles an hour with my hazards on, <laughs> you know, but she checked in with me every day. And I, and I had another advocate back here named Shannon McLaughlin. And uh, she's a little pit bull street shooter. That's what I need, you know, uh, calls me on my bullshit. Not afraid to, to, you know, metaphorically, you know, give me a good kick in the ass when I need it, uh, that type of thing. And between those two incredible women, I, I, I made, the, made it here to Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, my trailer sits outside in, in the impound. Um, I, I was able to, you know, go go to uh, to the attorneys that I hired in Columbus and I met with them and got all that moving and and kind of off my plate and out of mind. You know, I, I, I didn't want that distraction necessarily going on. So I I got all those processes started of everything that needs to happen there. And then I, I got myself here and, uh, and I ran in here on fumes, bro. Uh, when I got in here, my fentanyl levels were off the charts. They were untestable. They were so high 1000 plus nanograms um per deciliter which which is off the charts i but but another miracle happened mikey i i took all i had a bunch of drugs left every other time that i've gone to rehab i've gone at the either because i wanted the pain to stop and i had no other options or because somebody was forcing me not forcing me but strongly pushing me in there like you said we have these loved ones and we're protectors 
and they're there and it's, it's like they're reaching out our their hand like here you know take it and and you want to you want to take the help you're trying to take the help but it's their fingers are just barely out of reach you know what i mean and the whole the whole time you know, and it yeah well you that, don't that, want to huh or you don't want to grab hold of them and pull them in it's like exactly yeah it's like, exactly like, it's either out of reach because i'm trying so hard i don't know how to go any further or i get hold of you and honestly i feel myself sliding back and i don't want to take you with me it's one of those you know it's the uh, truth is the truth is my my going out to the west coast was i i i i, I um strongly suspected that death was around any corner for me. And I no longer wanted my family to have to physically watch the process of my death. That, that was one of my big reasons for going out there was, was honestly to die You're uh, to alone. Die. Yeah. yeah. Just like, uh, like pretty amp goes off when it's done, when it, at the end, you know, I, I, that's what I was doing, but I made it here, man. And, and, you know, uh, through experiences that I've had through the mission within with you down, you know, with, with Martin Polanco and, and, and the incredible work that he's doing with the Ibogaine and five MEO DMT, uh, man, that experience, um, changed my life forever. And, um, It was like for the first time I saw myself like God sees me when I was under 5-MeO-DMT. I, I saw myself under those pretenses. I, I, I also saw how interconnected we all are, you know. Um, it's like, uh, what, after that I understood, yeah, exactly. Uh, after that, after that I understood that, that life it's kind of like a candlelight ceremony, you know, it starts with one flame and, and, and everyone lights their candle off of it. That, that, that's, um, that's what life is. You know, we're all parts of the same whole. And for the first time I was able to grasp that and, 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 you know, no longer kind of be this, my own universe and, and, and my own God, I, I realized, I real, I got the message, you know, I, I finally saw what this is all about. And I finally saw, what my place is in it, Mikey, you know, and I, and I finally saw what I want to do with the rest of my life, you know, and and that that is one to try to even up the scale of my own heart, hopefully, you know, before I I leave this place. And two, I, 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 I want to use the remainder of my life to, to share with other people, the experiences that I've been so fortunate um, to, to have had, you know, and, and, and to carry that message of hope, uh, whether I stay sober or not, I, 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 I've learned I can't make anybody any promises I, anymore, you know, but, but one, that I, that I won't quit. That's the only promise I can make. I, I, I will never quit no matter what. Dude, there's so much there. Uh, I, I know I, I covered the plant medicine and a little bit of my experience on a, a previous podcast with a guy named Cody Connor. We actually were doing a part two pretty soon. I'd love to do a part two with you as well on that exact same yeah. thing. That's a whole There's, episode in and up. <laughs> and a great one at that. It's just, it's woo wow. central, just woo woo, but it's, it's fantastic because it's really real. Um, but something you said is like, I will never give up. I know I started this, 
when we talked by saying I finally listened to um, the Admiral McRaven Make Your Bed speech. And I wrote down the, the 10 lessons. And I remember thinking about this. I'm like, wow, this is totally you and me and a lot of our stories. But start the day with the yeah. task completed, right? That's the make your bed part. There's so much more to it. Find someone to help you through life. Respect everyone. Life is not always fair. Move forward. You're going to fail a lot is really what he said. Don't be afraid to fail often. Take risks. Step up when times are the toughest. Face down the bullies. Lift up the downtrodden. And finally, never give up extremely extremely impactful you and i are alive right now that's it's it's self-evident it's pervasive you, you can't you can't deny it right our journeys are everything else that was just read right there as long as you and i stay sober trust in something outside of ourselves whatever we want to call it and learn to love ourselves between the bars dude we can help so many people. We're doing it right now. Yeah. It's it's just amazing. The last thing I'll touch on is um, you and I both share another commonality of the relationship with the father figure, right? For yours, it was kind of a bastardization of a relationship. For mine, it was someone who loved me from a distance. I have no doubt in my mind, my dad loved me very, very much. And I have one of those hallmark stories where I thought other people made it up, but I got to talk to him and say, dad, I forgive you. I love you. And then right before he died, I'm talking milliseconds, but the notion of the distant father figure and how that plays out in our life, right? It's think about this notion of, of God or the universe or whatever you want. Like I was just so hurt by why, didn't somebody protect me? Why wasn't someone, why am I protect? Why do I want to protect everybody and die for them? And nobody was willing to do that for me. And then through a series of very fortunate events that had the appearances of horrible tragedies, they had the appearances of, I can't stop using. They had the appearances of, I'm trying, I'm crying myself to sleep. I miss her so much. She'll never come back. I got to see something about me that I got to see me the way God sees me. And I had a choice. And the choice was very simple. It's like, what do you want to do? You want to come inside? Great. We'd love to have you, but you got to take your shoes off the door. It's very simple. And uh, every day I take my shoes off every single day. And man, what a beautiful life. I get to talk to guys like you and so many other people. It's just the basic interactions. How are you doing today? Watch the sunset write a little bit. I do poetry, you know, I'm about to color some stuff. Like I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think about me. It doesn't matter. It's just, how can I love myself? And in doing so, it just goes like this. It just in and then out to others and then in and then out to others. Just that's the natural flow of life. My candles lit. I can light others. Just like you said, you're a fucking amazing human being, man. Right back at you, buddy. So I hope Hope you realize that, continue to realize that. And I don't, whether you do or don't, man, I'm always here. Yeah. Riley is here, as you can see. (laughs) Well, no one can see this, but the dog is like, I think he's trying to hump me right now. 
Yeah. Like, 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 what? <laughs> Excuse. Yeah. It's here. He goes. He's going for it. No, sir. All right, dude. Um, thank you for it's coming on. I'm gonna put some uh, stuff about Mark Mark Small, David Hurt, uh, in the in the uh, the show notes. And then one last Great. question for you. Yeah. If you could go back to yourself, let's say at nine years old, and tell yourself anything, any advice, anything you could say, any words of encouragement, knowing yourself would take that on board as 100% true, what would you say? Settle up. There you go. That's all we can. All right, man. Dude, I love you. You're an awesome dude. Please keep in touch, and, and thank you for coming on. Of course. Hey, we have we have work to do together, Mikey. Yeah, do it then. Settle up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please read the show notes for any links or other amplifying information mentioned or used in the production of today's show. Climb Four is a registered five hundred one c three. To purchase merchandise, contribute donations, or to apply for hiking camping equipment, or to send us a message, please visit Climb Four at www.climb-four.org. That's www.climb-4.org. And if you're a veteran and wish to be on the podcast, please send an email to info at climb-4.org. Once again, that's info at climb-4.org. See you next time.